Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 34, verses 1 through 22, which is the whole of Psalm 34. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. Lord, we recognize that uh, you are the king, and it is your kingdom that we should be seeking first. Lord, we thank you for inviting us to be a part of your kingdom. More than that, we thank you for inviting us to be your children, sons and daughters and heirs. Lord, we pray that you would continue to tune our hearts, tune our ears to hear from you. Lord, that we would always take our lead from who you are, what it is that you have uh, said, what it is that you have done, nor the things that you are doing in this world and the things that you have promised that you will do in this world and in us. We pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And then turning to our New Testament reading, the parables that we just heard from Matthew thirteen thirty-one to 35. Jesus speaking. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. 
The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we just looked at a mustard seed growing into something large, um, that brings us really to the sermon series that we're in right now, looking at small things that are typically overlooked, and yet there is something really big inside. And, um, and it is amazing. That is one of the amazing things about the kingdom. It's one of those um, kind of a, a riddle of sorts when you t- try to think of what is something that could be bigger on the inside than on the outside, right? Well, a, a seed does that. <laughs> A seed can have a whole tree inside such a tiny container. Um, and this is somewhat counterintuitive, but it seems like the way of the kingdom. And what we are looking at in terms of uh, sermon series over the next several weeks are those small little books in uh, the New Testament that typically get overlooked, mostly just because they're not very big. Uh, but... We're reminding ourselves they're in the Bible for a reason, <laughs> and there is, uh, you know, there is much the word of the God as any of the, um, any of the books or the passages that we know um, are, are much more familiar with than these. And so last week we looked at Second uh, John, and this is a letter that was you know only like twelve verses long, and that's it. And uh, John is writing to a church. Um, and is telling people about you know, deceivers that have come to try to take people off track of following Jesus. And he's saying, don't, don't go along with that. Don't give them a platform in your church to be trying to take people off the track of following Jesus. Don't let anybody put anything as central in the church or in your life other than Jesus. There'll be people who try over and over. Don't let them, don't let that happen. That was the message, uh, effectively, of Second John. Well, some time passes. John writes another letter, this time addressing a similar situation, but a little bit differently. This time, uh, we have at least somebody in uh, the church who says, all right, if we are not to allow somebody like that to come in, um, better safe than sorry, we'll let no one come in. Right? That seems reasonable. No, 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 no. There are others who are still welcoming people in, um, being hospitable to them, etc. And uh, so there's kind of this division over how are they supposed to handle this? And John gives them an answer. This is Third John as he uh, writes to a particular man in this church by the name of Gaius. Says the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, who whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 
Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. My goodness, that's a short little letter. And yet there is so much in here uh, as instruction for Gaius himself, the recipient of the letter originally, as well as uh, for us even today. But let's go through it uh, as, as it comes. John begins the letter by talking about this walking in the truth. I don't know if you notice how many times the word truth or true shows up through here. It's not that many verses, and it's a lot of times that it shows up. I think I counted six times, maybe. You can double-check me on that. It may be a different number. Um, But it's a lot for such a little thing. The truth is a big deal for John. And it should be a big deal for all Christians. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? And so if we are those who follow Jesus, we ought to be people who love Jesus what is true. And, um, and you think about this when he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Think about this. If you, uh, if you are a parent and have had kids who you have trained them and brought them up in a certain way of doing things, this is how, uh, this is what it means to not be a bully at school. This is what it is like to actually care for other people. And then you tell them these things and they nod along and they act like they understand, but you have no idea, right? Not until they're actually in the situation. But then say you get a a phone call or a text or an email from a teacher saying, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I saw your child doing exactly the things that you've been teaching them to do. Does that bring you joy as a parent? Oh my goodness, yes. To know that they're actually walking in the things you've been teaching them. And John is saying, I have been hearing this about you at this church, that you are doing the things. Like you're, you're actually walking in the truth. And so the things that we came and that we taught you about, and now we've gone away. Who knows how that's going? Well, we've gotten reports, and apparently it's going well, that you all are actually walking in the truth. Now, we did mention last week uh, the football example. I'm going to bring it up again because I think it's important. (laughs) And this is uh, how we claim that we love the truth, just 
instinctually. We all say, of course I love the truth. Why would I want to go after lies? I don't want to be a... No, I love the truth. But I said that's not true. It's not true that we love the truth because, and I illustrated it with a football example saying if you uh, get very upset when you see the other team commit a foul and the ref doesn't call it, you get upset about that. And you say, well, of course I'm upset. This is a matter of truth and justice. But if it's reversed and you see your team commit a foul and the ref doesn't call it, you don't get upset because you don't actually care about truth. What we care about is advantage. And, um, and this is where this is where to actually care about the truth means we have to care about the parts that we don't like. We have to actually be for the truth that makes us look bad. We have to be for the truth that causes us some suffering, some sacrifice. In um, in the second section where it talks about what Gaius has been doing, he's actually been welcoming believers. There are people who John has been sending around to the various churches to continue the work of preaching to them, teaching them. And Gaius has actually been welcoming them. And so, see, dear friend, verse 5, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a, in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. <clears throat> this is critical. Gaius has been welcoming people because he is somebody who cares about the truth. He is walking in the truth. And But what is that truth? We keep using this word. You keep on using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. This is... Uh, this is a word that gets tossed around a lot uh, today and can mean an awful lot of different things. But when John is talking about what is true, he doesn't, he doesn't just mean uh, kind of the facts of the matter, like did it rain yesterday or not? Well, one of those is true, one of them is not. You know, it either did or didn't. That's, there you go. He's not talking about caring about truth in that way, though we should care about truth in that way. When he's talking about walking in the truth, it's not just a way of walking in honesty, which is that, but it's more than that. It's the truth of Jesus. It's the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news of Jesus being the Messiah and the Savior. This is the truth that Gaius is walking in. How do you know that he's walking in this truth? Because of his love. They have told the church about your love. This is how. John knows that Gaius is walking in the truth because of the way that he has extended love to other people who have come out uh, to his church, but they are coming for the sake of the name. What does that mean? What does it mean for, for them to be going out in, in this, for the sake of the name? This is Jesus. These are Jesus' people <laughs> going around to share the good news of Jesus. Probably facing hardships because of uh, being 
those who are going out for the sake of Jesus. And when they get to this church, it says, you know, they're not going to receive help from pagans. Why would pagans help Jesus people? The Jesus people are the ones going around saying, hey, there's this, uh, <laughs> there is a God, and he has sent his son, and the Romans killed him, and we worship him as our king. And they're like, yeah, I don't get it. Keep moving. Why are they going to help him? No, but it's the church, the people who understand, oh, God sent his son because of his love for us and the way that we needed a sinner. And so he died for us. And because of that, he's been raised from the dead and we can join him in his kingdom as a part of his family. And we understand that as good news. Well, yeah, those are the people who should be welcoming them. And so he says, and that's exactly what Gaius is doing. Gaius sees these people coming around who are preaching Jesus and the good news of Jesus. And he's like, and you, because you love this truth, you're welcoming them in a way that others aren't. And you are loving them in a way that others aren't. And that is good. Uh, And he says, we ought to show such hospitality. This is verse uh, eight. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Now keep in mind, he said that Gaius didn't know these people. These were strangers. And yet, he says, you're loving these people that you don't even know. And you're working together with people you don't even know. Because you're both on the side of the truth of the gospel. That's good. And that's what we ought to be doing. Working together for the truth. But then, as I mentioned earlier, there's a bit of a, bit of a wrinkle in the church there. And this is uh, Diotrephes. I'm probably not saying that right. doesn't matter. There's this guy named Diotrephes who is uh, refusing to welcome other believers. No, they can't come here. And if there are other people who are saying, yeah, yeah, we should welcome him, he says, no. And not only now are you not allowed to welcome them, but you're not allowed to be here either. Out with you. <laughs> and it seems like he's got some support, at least in the church, for uh, being able to do this. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to do it. He has some authority in this church to be able to put people out of the church and to be able to say, you know, be the one making the call of, no, we're not welcoming people. So there seems to be some support, and you can understand the people going along with that and being like, well, sure. John wrote to us in our last letter, we've got to watch out for those bad guys, right? Don't let them in here spreading their bad stuff. So, yeah, I'm glad this guy is just keeping us all clean and pure by not letting anybody else in here. And John said, oh, but you're mistaken. That's not what's going on. That's not what's going on. In fact, what's going on is you already have bad inside. And you have gone, swung so far the other direction that you are keeping the good out. And in fact, here's how he puts it. So the reason this is happening, he says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, would not welcome us. Diotrephes trying to help the church? No. Is he trying to follow uh, what John has been teaching? No. He doesn't love the truth. He loves advantage. He has found a way for him to have power in the church. 
and has sacrificed the truth to maintain that power. He has not only sacrificed the truth to maintain that power, but he has uh, actually caused other people to go outside of the church, removing people from the fellowship so that he can stay in power. John says, no, 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 no. And so he says, when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing. He's already done that in the letter, but he said, I'll do that in person. He is spreading malicious nonsense about us. I have to say, just a little aside, it's kind of nice to know people spreading malicious nonsense is not just a thing of 2020. That uh, apparently has a long history. Um, but there is. <laughs> there is still malicious nonsense today for sure. But that is not something we should be taking part in. That's something that John says, I will call attention to this. We are to be people of the truth. And so he says, we should be uh, working together for the truth. We should be working against malicious nonsense. And then he continues, verse 11, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. And he speaks of Demetrius. Demetrius actually may have been the one who is bringing this letter to Gaius as someone sent by John, sent with the truth who's gone out for the sake of the name of Jesus. And Gaius says, or John says, Gaius, hey, look at this guy. Don't follow Diotrephes. Follow Demetrius. This kind of example. Somebody who is doing uh, what is good, not doing what is evil. Someone who is spoken well of by everyone and even by the truth itself. And again, what truth are we talking about? The truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus as the Messiah. He says, if you look at this guy's life, what you will see is Jesus stamped on him. When you, uh, when you read the book of Acts, you see in chapter 7, there's a guy named Stephen, and he gives kind of this Old Testament history lesson uh, just before he gets killed. But he's telling the whole of the Old Testament story in a way that points to Jesus and saying it was all about Jesus. And, of course, the people that are hearing this message did not like that, and so they stone him. But what is amazing is what you see in Stephen is the way in which his death parallels the death of Jesus. You see Jesus stamped on him that he has become an an image, someone who is reflecting the glory of Christ. This is what John is saying happens in the lives of believers, of those who are actually following Jesus. They have Jesus stamped on their lives. And so you hear it in the things they say, you see it in the things they do. And he says, Demetrius is one of these people where even the truth of the gospel itself is uh, speaking well of him. And then he concludes. I've got, I have a lot to write to you, but I don't want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We'll talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Listen, two things. One, of all years, this year, we understand better than ever this last part of 
I do not want to do so with pen and ink, but I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. We have never been made more poignantly, painfully aware of the need we have as human beings for community and for fellowship and for relationship in person. And yes, we're thankful for the technology that allows us to be able to communicate at distance. And John certainly used the technology of his day to communicate at distance. And yet he says, but that is only an in-between time kind of a thing. That is only what we do when we cannot get together. But what is good and what is, uh, what is best is for us to actually be together in person. That said, I'm glad he had the technology of the day so we can read this letter even now. And so God uses even the times that we are apart to continue uh, sharing and spreading his message. Then the last thing, when he says, peace to you, the friends here send their greetings, greet the friends there by name. Why does he call them friends? What is that about? Is it because these are the guys he used to go bowling with? Maybe. It doesn't say. I suspect it's something else. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking with his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. And we talk about this night a lot. It's kind of a big deal. John 13 to 17. As uh, Jesus is, uh, yeah, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he talks with his disciples, he eats with his disciples, he washes his disciples' feet. He continues to tell them to love one another over and over again. In fact, in chapter 13, he says, uh, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This is what John has already been referring to in Gaius. That's how how I know who you are. You're loving people. But he says, as I have loved you. So you get to chapter 15, verse 11. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. I think John calls Gaius and the church there his friends because Jesus called them friends. Because Jesus said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he says, you are the friends that Jesus laid down his life for. And you are the friends who are laying down your lives for each other. The people who come in Jesus' name, you're doing that for them. 
So he says, the friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. This is all very general and applicable across the ages, but it's always personal. And when he says, greet the friends there by name, John understands it is always personal. That the people in that church are laying down their lives for people that are coming in that they don't know. They're laying down their lives for those who are part of their fellowship. People they know by name, people who have, uh, they have been sharing life with in all kinds of ways. Sharing their highs, sharing their lows through all the seasons of life. It's always personal. So where does that leave us? Here's where it leaves us. In 2 John, John said, beware of the people who try to take Jesus out of the center and put anything else there. So we hold to that. But now in 3 John, he's saying, and beware of people who are trying to um, cling to their own power. And so moving Jesus aside for that. It doesn't matter if they sound good and make clever arguments. You'll know them by their love. You'll know them by their uh, clinging to the truth of Jesus above all else. And he says, in this case, when there are people who are um, working for the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, we need to work together with them. We need to work together with them. This is a time in our uh, history where it is much, much easier to just go our own way, to divide in every possible, along every possible difference you can come up with. But we need fellowship. We need community. We need community with people who disagree with us because we have different perspectives on things. But we need that community and that fellowship to have Jesus at the center because he's the one who can correct all of our blind spots. And we all have them. He is the one who can change us all in the way that we need to be changed, and we all need to be changed. And so we work together, together for the truth. We continue to lay down our lives for one another, to love in sacrificial ways, and so testify to the truth in word and in deed, in all that we do individually and all that we do together as a church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we ask that you would um, help us to be those who are walking in the truth. Not only when we are here on a Sunday morning, 
or watching from home, wherever we may be. But Lord, that as we go through uh, the rest of our day today, as we go through the days ahead, Lord, that we would be walking in the truth of the gospel. That our lives would bear the, the stamp of Jesus on us. That people would know that we are your disciples because of the way that we love like you love. The way we lay down our lives for the good of others. The way that we keep Jesus at the center of everything. The way that we are willing to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of truth, for the sake of love, for the sake of the name. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.